Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 57 of the Atlanta Man podcast. I'm your host, Ryan Rogers, and on today's episode, we will discuss the Atlanta Braves as their 14-game winning streak came to an end last week. They also lose second baseman Ozzy Albies for a uh, very extended period of time where they fractured foot. Um, and also, at the end of the episode, we're going to do a little pre-draft roundup for the Hawks, all the rumors that are swirling around, and... Um, it's quite a bit of stuff because the Hawks have the most rumors of any NBA team um, in this pre-draft process right now. So we'll get into that. John Collins, Clint Capella, Kevin Herter rumors, and just the uh, trading up in the draft idea that the Hawks are uh, seem to be going for right now. So we'll get into that at the back of the episode. But first, we'll start off with the Braves. And uh, about the week and a half that they've had since I have last recorded, I was not able to record on Monday because I was out of town, so was not able to do that. So we'll get into all the games that have transpired um, since I last recorded. So the first one was the three-game series in Washington against the Nationals, and the Braves swept them, extending the winning streak to 14 games, uh, tied the win streak back in 2013, which they also won 14 straight in a row. Um, The offense really, really came to play in this one. They scored 27 runs in three games, which is quite good. Um, some nights the pitching wasn't really there, especially in games one and two. Not great performances from uh, Max Fried and uh, Kyle Wright, who weren't their sharpest. Um, but Spencer Strider was good in game three of the series. Um, you know, a lot of positives offensively. Obviously, Michael Harris hit his first two career home runs. Uh, we're going to talk about Michael Harris a little bit later, just about how good he's been. Um, but Austin Riley had a two homer game. Um, Ozuna homer, Duvall homer, just a ton of offense. And, uh, yeah, the Braves just kind of breezed by the Nationals. They are quite bad, and they were without Juan Soto for the last two games of this series also. So when they don't have Soto, they are probably the worst team in the league, and their pitching right now is just absolutely abysmal. Um, Josiah Gray and Steven Strasburg both got scratched in this series. And, yeah, it was just a cakewalk for the Braves. There's no other way to put it, really. The Nationals are really, really bad. So, yeah, we'll move on to the uh, end of the winning streak, which happened on Friday, and a very, very frustrating one to nothing loss to the Chicago Cubs. Um, all three games of this series in Chicago were all day games, which is uh, nothing unusual for Chicago. That's how they usually do things, especially on weekend series. Um, but it did kind of rear its ugly head about how weird Wrigley can be, especially in game one, where uh score was one to nothing, and the one run in this game was scored without... Uh, a hit being made by the Cubs. It was a uh, walk, bunt, sac- sacrifice bunt, stolen base of third, and a sack fly to score Jonathan VR in the bottom of the eighth inning to give the Cubs the lead. The wind in this game was blowing just, uh, I don't know what the exact number was, but very hard towards home plate. Every ball that got hit up in the air was just absolutely dying and getting knocked back into the field of play. The Braves probably hit four home four balls that are homers on any other day, especially a Ronald Acuna blast to dead center. I mean, off the bat, like it was looked like it was going to be a absolute missile moonshot, but it just gets knocked down that like right right side of the wall. And um, you know, if that one's not getting out, none of them are getting out that day, and that's what happened. And on top of it all, there was a wicked sun glare, and nobody could see the ball. It was pretty evident. Uh, for both sides, there were just awkward swings by even like Ronald Acuna again. He had a 
fastball at the top of the zone, I believe, and he just like had, had this weird, awkward swing, a pitch that he usually picks up very well. He just didn't at all. And, uh, you know, Charlie Martin pitched in this game, and he was very good, seven shutout innings. Um, but even he was the uh, benefactor of this because the Cubs could not see the ball either. This, the glare was just insane. And, yeah, that's kind of how this game transpired. A very frustrating, frustrating way to lose the 14-game winning streak. Um, but, you know, it is what it is. Baseball happens. Just the randomness of it all happens. And that's what happened in this one. Uh, the last two games of the series, I was not able to watch either of these because um, I was out of town, like I said. But they lose game two, six to three. Um, Kyle Wright was not sharp again in this one. <clears throat> so something maybe to just like look out for a little bit of Kyle not being, you know, himself 100% right now. Um, you know, he's had the awesome start to the year, obviously, but now he's had a couple of so-so outings um, lately. So, yeah, that's not, never good to see from him. But in game three, a very encouraging performance um, from Ian Anderson, who went 6.2 shutout innings and the Braves won six to nothing to salvage the three-game set. Never good to lose two out of three to this Cubs team. Um, I didn't mention this, but they were on a 10-game losing streak coming into the series, and the Braves were on a 14-game winning streak. It was like only the second time ever that a team was on a 10-plus game win streak and a 10-plus game losing streak playing against each other. And the Cubs broke both the streaks, obviously, but, you know, it's good to salvage it and not get swept. Um, the Braves still haven't lost three games in a row this year, which is pretty impressive. Um, so, yeah, that's uh, all I got for the Cubs series. But um, I didn't mention, I forgot to mention this here in the National Series, but in game two, it was when Ozzy Albies did fracture his left foot, um, kind of just running out of the batter's box. It just kind of buckled on him, and he uh, awkwardly, you know, just kind of hobbled off the field. It was revealed during the game that he fractured his left foot. He was put on the 60 day IL. They uh, promoted Phil Goslin from AAA. So, Ozzy's going to be out for a good bit, probably. August or September, early September. They didn't give an exact timeline, but you know it seems like that's gonna kind of be the timeline for Ozzy's return. Um, but Orlando Arcia, who has been very very good, uh, had a couple homers in that um, National Series. I didn't mention him, and he also had the walk off in Game One of uh, the series against the Giants that started on Monday. The Braves win two to one. Um, only two runs were a Travis Darno homer. And uh, Orlando Arcia with a walk-off single in the bottom of the ninth off of Camillo Duvall, who was a very, very good pitcher. So that was a pretty impressive thing. The Braves also got to Duvall in Game 2. We'll get into that in a second. Um, but, yeah, the walk-off single after you know the lead was surrendered in the seventh inning, the one nothing lead. Um, Brian Snicker let Max Free load the bases. He was working with a shutout through seven, um, but loaded up the bases on a a uh, bunt single and a, a walk and something else. I can't remember off the top of my head, honestly. But they loaded the bases up, gave the ball to Will Smith, and Will Smith did a really good job of damage control. Um, even though I don't love leaving Max in, just load the bases. Probably you're on a one or two base runner limit there, but Snit just kind of let him go. Um, I guess they, all things worked out at the end of the day. The Braves won, but not a decision that I love leaving Max in that late. But Will Smith did a good job of damage control, only gave up one run. And you'll take that. Bases load nobody out. You take that every single time. So good job, Will Smith. And everything worked out. Braves win 2-1. to one. Okay, so now we'll get into last night's game against the Giants. They're halfway through this four-game set. Uh, the Braves lost 12-10 to 10 in this game. Um, they, got, they got down early in a 4-0 deficit. Spencer Strider was not good at all in this game. He was quite dreadful, to be honest with you. Um, so he had a pretty bad outing. But the Braves come storming back. A Marcelo Zuna two-run homer made it four to two. Then Matt Olson hit a three-run homer to make it five to four. 
Then the Giants go back on top with some more runs in this one. I, th I believe those were off Strider as well. Um, as I'll pull up his line right now as he was um, quite bad in this game. But yeah, Strider in this game, 3.2 innings pitched, 6 earned runs, 4 strikeouts, 1 walk. Not good at all, but um, luckily for the Braves, Anthony Discalfani was pretty bad for the Giants also. 3 innings pitched, 5 earned runs, 2 homers given up by him. So he was pretty bad. But, um, yeah, the, the Braves' bullpen in this game also gave up six runs, too, which is not good. Darren O'Day uh, kind of got babbipped, if we're being honest. He got a little bit unlucky to a uh, very soft hit ball, so the right side kind of shift beaters, um, soft contact from O'Day, which um, not really his fault. Then he did walk a guy, and um, that loaded up the bases. And then Colin McHugh gave up a double to score two of the runs and put – the uh, Giants back on top after Ronald Acuna hit a two-run homer to put the Braves back on top. It was a really back-and-forth game, if you haven't noticed that by now. Um, but McHugh gave up the the uh, double. None of those runs were charged to him, both to O'Day. But in the next inning, Jock Peterson, old friend, almost hit a homer in game one off of Kenley Jansen, um, but he didn't. But he did get one off of McHugh into the Braves' bullpen in this one to uh, extend the lead. Um, Jackson Stevens had a pretty rough outing, but I don't think this is really his fault. I think Brian Snicker kind of botched this game, to be honest with you. Um, I saw a lot of people complaining about the lack of uh, A.J. Minter being used in this game, which, you know, I I understand people really wanted to use A.J. in the ninth, um, but he left Stevens in, and Stevens gave up two more runs. So that's um, not good because Matt Olson ended up hitting a uh, two-run homer in the bottom of the ninth, and... Um, if the Braves want to give those two runs, it would have been a walk-off, but I don't really like doing that. The um, Oh, if we wouldn't have gave up runs, it's a walk-off because things just kind of change. Um, but Matt Olson had a second homer of the game, but he kind of left in Jackson Stevens to just die in this game. Um, Stevens ended up throwing 38 pitches in two innings, which is quite a lot for a guy that's just been – he hasn't been a complete one-inning guy this year, but I believe that's the most pitches he's thrown all year. And I don't even think they had to use AJ, who, by the way, hadn't pitched since Sunday. And when he did pitch on Sunday, he threw three pitches. So he was very, very well rested. And there was also Jesse Chavez, who has been good, and he was also available. But he elected to leave Stevens in to die. He gave up three runs total in two innings. Um, not good stuff there from Snicker. And I also didn't love going straight to O'Day um, in the uh, sixth inning, I believe, after Dylan Lee, who has been very good this year. Um, went 1.2 shutout, went to O'Day with lefties lurking after the righties in the order. Um, I don't love that at all. I mean, he was going to have to face the lefty no matter what. Um, actually, no, he wasn't because Lee came and get the first out, but then he gave the two bloop singles and he had to face the third bar, which is a lefty, who, which he walked. Um, I would have just went straight to McHugh there, even though McHugh wasn't great. But in my head at the moment, I thought McHugh was the play there and he went to O'Day and you know, O'Day had pretty bad results, zero innings pitched, two earned runs, but honestly he wasn't that bad at all. The two the two singles he gave up were very fluky, and the Giants had a few just absolute, just very low-velocity hits in this game. Um, Braves got bad-bipped in this game, and it kind of came back to bite them. But the Braves also had some stuff going their way. Like in the uh, seventh inning, I believe, Tyro Estrada just dropped the last out of the inning. On a play at second base, a force play, he just dropped the ball trying to touch second. And that resulted in the Braves scoring a run. This game was just off the rails the entire way through. It was just absolute madness. Um, just so much weird stuff's going on. Austin Riley kicked a ball into the dugout, 
which um, kind of benef- benefited the Giants and kind of helped them score some more runs. And that was in the uh, eighth or ninth. I can't even remember. It's all blurring together. But he, like, slid for a ball, and it kind of bounced up, and he, like, accidentally just straight kicks it into the Giants' dugout, which gave them a couple extra bases. So it was just an absolute bizarre baseball game. Um, probably the one of the weirdest ones I've seen this year from the Braves. But they lost 12-10. to 10. I could probably think of some more crazy stuff that happened in this one, but... You know, it was just absolutely – I could name another thing real quick that was crazy that happened. Austin Wins, who is a 31-year-old catcher with a career 64 OPS plus, had a three-hit game, including a three-run homer. He just kind of turned into, um, like, the best catcher in baseball. He really inflated his numbers on the year. He now has an 890 OPS on the year when he came into the game with the OPS that was leaves in the six or the fives. So he kind of went nut job. That was another weird thing that happened in this game. So yeah, it was it was just a absolute bizarre baseball game, but the the Braves lose it and um it's a four game set with the Giants to have going on right now. So they've split the first two games, got two more, and then uh this weekend will be Braves, Dodgers, and Truist, and it'll be the return of Freddie Freeman. It'll be two primetime games actually on Saturday and Sunday, with a uh, Saturday on Fox and Sunday night baseball uh for the finale of the series, but yeah, Friday night, Freddie will return to Atlanta um, to uh, face the Braves for the first time since in Atlanta since uh, he obviously left for the Dodgers. So it's going to be an interesting series there for sure. It always is when those two teams get together. Um, but, yeah, that's all I got on the game results. The Braves are 39-30 and 30 right now. They're still um, five, and a half, five and a half games back of first place for the Mets are. Uh, the Mets are actually losing to the Astros right now as I record. Um, so... They uh, could be as high up as four and a half if they win tonight because the Mets are getting beat pretty bad by the Astros right now. And so, yeah, so a good opportunity for the Braves tonight if they can win this game to make up a little more ground on the Mets. So last thing on the Braves before we move on to the Hawks stuff, I just want to talk about Michael Harris. Um, He had a hit last night and a hit by pitch also, so that helps his numbers. But he has been, like, phenomenal. Like, he um, is... In the discussion for Rookie of the Year, it is a pretty light rookie class in the National League. Um, I think him and Strider are both definitely in contention for Rookie of the Year. But Michael Harris right now is slashing 345 batting average, 375 on base, a 571 slugging that is good for a 946 OPS and a 155 OPS plus. He's hit three homers. Um, he has already been worth 1.2 baseball reference war in 23 games this year. He has been absolutely outstanding. Um, the defense has been awesome in uh, in center field, um, which is no surprise there. The main concern was like, how, how well is this guy going to hit? He's a rookie. And, um, you know, still a small sample size for sure. It's 88 plate appearances, but he has been just a huge spark to this team and has been like the best hitter on the team since he's been called up, um, which is pretty wild. He's been like, what he's been the, worth the second most fan graphs war in baseball in the month of June behind Jake Cronenworth, who has just been going nut job for the uh, Padres. So according to Fangraphs, he has been the second best baseball player in the month of June. And he is 21 years old, and he's only played in 23 MLB games, which is pretty wild how good he has been. I don't expect him to be this good, because if he is, oh my God, he is like it's it, he's on an insane pace right now if he keeps this up. I do expect him to fall off a little bit, but I just wanted to shout him out um, and just say how good he has been playing center field and, um, you know, being that nine-hole hitter in the lineup, the lefty that the Braves have needed, 
he has uh, kind of removed any doubt of him somehow getting demoted back to the minors or losing the center field job. He has been everything the Braves could have asked for and more. And, um, yeah, he's just super fun to watch play. He's fast as all hell. And, um, yeah, if he can keep this up, the Braves have another full-fledged superstar on this team. And that's just kind of a scary thing to think of with this team and the upside that they potentially have if Harris is really this good. So I just wanted to uh, give him a shout-out. And now we will move on to the absolute madness that is the Atlanta Hawks. I haven't talked about the Hawks in a long time, pretty much. Probably only a little bit since they've got eliminated from the playoffs. Um, but the draft is on Thursday, tomorrow actually, and the um, the Hawks are the most active rumor mill team in the entire NBA right now. Um, obviously, John Collins is the main point of that. He has been connected to a bunch of teams, the Blazers, the Kings, the Suns now. Clint Capella has been connected to the Timberwolves. Um, Kevin Herter has been connected to the Kings in a package deal with John Collins. For the number four overall pick in the draft, um, Collins has been connected for the Blazers, obviously, for their number seven pick. Um, but there is a report that happened earlier today, right before I recorded, actually, about um, the Hawks and their willingness to trade John Collins. Uh, this is from Jake Fisher, who is a reporter for Bleacher Report, who is uh, very good at his job. And he said this today. One thing is certain. One thing that is certain, the Atlanta Hawks sources say, are operating with the goal of trading John Collins before Thursday night gets underway, which is the draft. So it is looking more likely than ever that John Collins is going to be moved away from the Hawks. Um, this is something that has been well known. The Hawks have been trying to trade John for a long time. They were very skeptical of even paying him his contract that he got. He has always kind of had a diminished role offensively with this team. Um, when, when that is one of his primary skill sets. Um, I think trading John Collins is not good in the short term for the Hawks as far as being a good team goes, um, which is something I don't love when you have a guy like Trey Young on your team. I think Trey is a superstar caliber player. He is he was obviously one of the best offensive players in the year in, in the season last of, of the season last year, if I could spit that out. Um, and not going all in on the next year, when you're only a season removed from being a couple games from the final from the NBA Finals, is just not a thing I love. Um, the Hawks appear to be in love with a draft prospect, Jaden Ivey, who is projected to be a top four pick. And my greatest fear in all of this is that they are going to package John Collins and Kevin Herter for the number four overall pick and draft Jaden Ivey. Jaden Ivey is a good prospect. I I, I do think um, this is a very uh, thin draft. I don't love it. It's kind of flat. But the top four guys, I think, are very good prospects. Um, that's Chet Holgram, Jabari Smith, and the, uh, um, Paolo Bancharo from Duke. And Jaden Ivey's the fourth guy. I think he's the clear four out of four of those guys. But um, he has definitely a skill set at the two-guard position that is very appealing, I will say. Um, but... It is not a win-now move at all for the Hawks. This is definitely a long-term kind of idea that the Hawks are playing with here because the uh, drafting him is not going to make the team better immediately. And in fact, it's going to make them, I think, significantly worse next year if they were to trade Collins and Herter. Um, granted, they will be receiving probably like a guy like Harrison Barnes from the Kings, who is a good basketball player. So they won't be like a huge, huge a big of blow, which you might think it would be, of it just being uh, Collins and Herter for Jaden Ivey straight up would not be that kind of deal. The money will not work that way for Sacramento. They would have to uh, exchange some salary there. But um, 
you know, if the Hawks do go through with this, even if it's not Jaden Ivey, if they trade up, uh, trade Collins to get number seven um, from Minnesota, these rookies, if it's not like Chet Holgram, they're not going to be good right out of the gate. Um, you know, there isn't that uber, uber elite guy other than probably Holgram. And I guess you could debate Jabari Smith being that guy or even Paulo. But in my opinion, Chet's the only guy that's going to come in and have immediate really good success. There isn't a Zion in this draft, really, of the multiple Zions, like with how it was with R.J. Barrett in that draft and all the others. There isn't that guy, really, except for Chet, and I don't and see the Hawks trading up to get him. Um, so, yeah, Jaden Ivey, if they do go through with him, he's probably going to be bad next year. That's just how it is with the NBA with rookies that aren't just, like, super polished coming out of college or whatever. It's just um, not a thing that's uh, very likely to happen of him just immediately being good. He could be solid. But he's definitely going to have his moments of being bad. And the one major red flag in all this is that he has is very limited defensively. He had a pretty bad um, defensive win share and defensive rating numbers in college at Purdue. So he is not a ready to be an NBA defender at all yet. And newsflash, if you didn't watch the Hawks last year, uh, perimeter defense, which where Jaden Ivey will be at, at primarily defending on the perimeter, was some of the worst in the NBA last year. And um, that doesn't even include that he is a, not a great three-point shooter right now at all. Um, he's a good mid-range guy, but not a good shooter from behind the arc. Um, but he's still a definitely good prospect if he can improve the shooting and ball handling. He's a very athletic guy. He's got some good size. And I do understand the appeal, but the price tag and just the fact that you're... I don't want to say you're punting on next season because the Hawks can still definitely just do something in free agency. Um it's just not something I love when you have a guy like Trey Young on your team. Um, just because being personally, having Trey Young means you should win now because he's one of the best players in the league. And another another aspect in all this is that Trey Young is probably not going to be super happy if you, you know, kind of saying, "Hey, Trey, we're not we're not really going for it this year." You know, I know we just led the league in points and assists, but we're going to take a step back for next year. I don't think he's going to love that. And, you know, I think make, keeping Trey Young happy should be a very, very high priority with Travis Slink and Tony Ressler and the entire front office because he is your superstar player and those guys don't come around too often. So I don't I don't love the idea of even trading Collins, which is like like all all but happening right now. I mean, it seems very, very likely that that is going to be the case. Um, I guess I would rather prefer them just to give him to. Portland, I think that's the most appealing deal in all of this is Collins to Portland for pick number seven. I would also try to get Josh Hart to come back in that deal. Um, Josh Hart is a good um, three, and he can defend. He's got some offensive upside. He's still a pretty young guy. He's a former Laker. Um, and I, I like Josh Hart quite a bit. So if you could get Collins and the seven and Josh Hart, maybe throw in you know, another sweetener that the Hawks could, I don't know, maybe like bogey or something. I wouldn't hate that because I do think that improves the team defensively, but I do think you're much worse overall with uh, getting the seventh pick and maybe drafting like Dyson Daniels, who is um, a pretty solid prospect as in the G League last year. Um, that's something that you could think about doing. But I think any, any move involving trading John Collins makes the Hawks worse next, worse next year, and I don't love that. I mean, I guess there's a, a world where they could be better without Collins next year, but that would include making like a monster, monster trade this year. Um for just another bona fide superstar to pair with Trey, which there are options for star players, but none of them on the level of Trey. Like there's the Donovan Mitchell, Bradley Beal ideas, DeAndre Ayton, Rudy Gobert for Capella. 
I don't know how much better that makes the Hawks if they don't have John Collins too. So that's um, it's just a thing that I don't love what they're doing right now. I think they're they're trying to make up and make like because they just ran it back after they were in the Eastern Conference Finals, which was an understandable decision. But now they kind of saw how poorly last year went, which wasn't fully on, you know, just the players itself. The Hawks had injury issues all year and in the playoffs, too. So I think they're, they're, they might be overthinking this, possibly, um, and just kind of just over-managing the team, I guess is the word for it. Just trying to shake things up so much because you don't want to risk what happened last year happening again. Which I'm not saying the Hawks should just run it back. But I think they might be thinking, like, like, hey, maybe we should move like Bogey and improve defensively. We have a good two-way player, John Collins, at the four. Let's just keep him. But I think they're, they don't really want Collins' skill set at the four. I think they're more into the four that can kind of um, defend a little better than Collins, a little bit better of a passer, just kind of facilitate and less of a, uh, less of a scoring option because that's what Collins is. Collins is a one of his main best traits is being a good score. He, he's developed a good three-point shot, a good um, you know mid-range shot also. He's obviously maybe the best role player in the league on the pick and roll. Um, but I just I, I, I think they want a guy that's more of less of a scoring threat and just more of a facilitator, defender, maybe like a Draymond Green type of guy. Obviously not at the level of like a prime Draymond Green, but someone like that who is not like a huge scoring threat but can facilitate, pass the ball very well, play good defense. I think that's kind of what they're more into at the four. I don't know who they have in mind to replace that if uh, Collins is gone. But, um, yeah, it's it's a very intriguing um, intriguing thing. I'm And um, I might be here talking about something again about the Hawks tomorrow if they do trade John, which seems likely. If they go all the way up to um, four and trade Herter and Collins – for pretty much Jay Nivey and probably Harrison Barnes, I'm not going to be thrilled. But, um, yeah, I might be back tomorrow, honestly, recording um, an emergency podcast if the Hawks do Drake Collins, probably, just to talk about it real quick. Probably won't wait till Monday for that one um, because that would be quite the significant move and just kind of a uh, almost like a franchise-altering move, but definitely shaking up the core of this team quite a bit with um, who, in my opinion, is – when he's right is the Hawks second best player in John Collins. So um, that's, that's all I got on that kind of rambled a bit too long on it because I'm just not super thrilled about what's about to happen in the draft. It could be the best for the Hawks in the long term. I'm not saying that, but it is definitely a risky move and something that definitely makes the Hawks worst in the short term. So, yep, that's um, all I got on the Hawks. That's all I got for this episode. Um, so yeah, if you, uh, if you guys listened this far, I uh, really, really appreciate it. I might be back tomorrow. Um, probably more likely than not, there will be maybe an emergency pod when this John Collins thing goes down. Um, but if not, I'll be, I'll be back on Monday to talk about the Braves and whatever the Hawks do in the draft. So yeah, um, thank you for listening and I will see you in the next one.